Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, what's up, New Orleans? What's up across the Gulf South? Hey, what's up to you listening wherever you are tonight at WWL.com and the Radio.com app? Welcome into our Friday edition of the show. We've got a really good one for you. If you've been paying attention to the Little League World Series, we talked about it a lot last night on the show. The team from River Ridge, just outside of New Orleans here in Louisiana. They've been playing, of course, in the Little League World Series. They won yesterday a 10-0 shutout of Virginia, and they've advanced on to the United States Championship game that will be played tomorrow at 2.30. A kid named Reese Roussel has been the star of that team, actually the star of the entire Little League World Series. He had a grand slam yesterday. He's hitting something like, I don't know, 700 in the Little League World Series. It's incredible. really is incredible. And it's going to be a treat for us coming up in about 10 minutes. His father, Corey Roussel, is going to join the show to talk about the journey he's watched his son take over the last couple of months and what's going on in Williamsport and what's the mood before this game tomorrow. So, again, Corey Roussel, father of Reese Roussel, going to join the show at 820. And we talk Saints as the Saints get ready to take on the New York Jets in their third preseason tune-up third preseason game means you're going to see the starters more than you have at any other point in the preseason that includes drew Brees, who's going to play tomorrow according to coach sean payton brett martell joins the show to talk a little saints at 8 40 then at 9 10 we go behind enemy lines a little bit but also part of our inside nfl training camp with the new york jets brian costello new york jets beat reporter for the esteemed new york post will join the show then in the 10 o'clock hour, it's two-minute drill trivia. My third match against Nate Lejeune, commissioner of the longest-running Madden League on the planet, online Madden League on the planet. Well, he has beaten me the last two weeks in a tiebreaker, and I'm not happy about it. I'm not going to let him beat me three times. I probably will let him beat me three times, but through no fault of my own. I'm just not good at this. Uh, so he, I'll get another shot at Nate in two-minute drill trivia in the 10 o'clock hour. We also go out to Las Vegas around then. We'll talk to Rafael Esparza, handicapper at DocSports.com, about week zero in the college football season and handicapping that. Plus an hour number two, we go best of the last lap this week on Friday as I always play you our best interview of the week and there is no contest who it was this week it is Tim Brando on the state of college football what he calls a relevancy crisis and describes the sport as being in peril because outside of what he describes again as the Sun Belt area from Dallas to Clemson and south of the Mason-Dixon line you get outside of that area and nobody's really interested in the sport right now except a few campuses. In Ohio State and Michigan, maybe over there at the University of Washington. But that's about it. And it's something that I've been very passionate about for many, many years. There's no crisis here. There's no crisis in the SEC. But there is a relevancy crisis out there. And we've seen it coming. And now it seems to be kind of be 
at critical mass. Phone lines are open for you all show long, 504-260-1870. Our text line is 870-870. Our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll at www.com. Tonight, are you watching the Little League World Series? Simple yes or no. And the reason we're asking that, of course, is this incredible run that this team from River Ridge is on. They get a chance to win a national championship tomorrow. It's, it's pretty darn cool. I will have my piece, our part two of Tim Brando on college football. It'll be up at WWL.com within about the next 30 minutes. Uh, we had part one of this yesterday. It's an incredible read from him. And uh, Logan, do we have a couple of those bites from my folder that I have? Uh, uh, just to give you a taste of what Tim Brando talked to me about. Here's uh, Tim Brando on what he describes as look, college football and how he describes it as, as being in peril. More peril than it's ever been. And that's somebody who has been covering the sport, has been calling the sport of college football for a very, very long time. Again, you're going to hear this interview in full, but it's just this this interview, this this talk I had with Tim Brando was so enlightening to me. And frankly, it was so refreshing to me that you had a major voice that people listen to in the sport that sees what's happening. It sees what's happening right in front of our face. That college football is making more money than the sport ever has before. And that's what the conference commissioners and the NCAA executives and the university presidents care about. It's lining their pockets and lining their associates' pockets. They care about the, the television money that's coming in. But TV ratings are flat or down across the country. That is especially true once you get outside of the SEC. And this, this arms race that's happening in the country, well, it's only happening to a few programs. I mean, you've got these conference commissioners, presidents, network executives on TV. They're kind of jumping and bathing into cash like Scrooge McDuck. So from their perspective, sure, the sport is great. It's never been healthier. Their only incentive is to keep growing their profit margin. But if you zoom out from that, if you don't just pay attention to these incredibly raucous scenes on ESPN's College Game Day or the, the awesome tailgates in Baton Rouge and elsewhere, the outlook gets a little more dim for a sport that maybe has already passed its zenith of interest. I mean, look, the, the West Coast now functions as a junior varsity for the big boys down south here. The Big 12 watches Oklahoma and Texas, a school or two, in addition to them, try to compete every season. Well, the rest of the conference jockeys for position in, you know, the John Gruden Blue Bonnet Bowl. The Big Ten, they promote Michigan and Ohio State. Once in a while, they'll promote Penn State, too, while they hide the disaster that the rest of their conference has become. Clemson versus the rest of the ACC. Ever seen that video, Shaq against Chris Dudley? If you haven't, just look it up on YouTube. It's a little bit like that, with Clemson playing Shaq and the rest of the conference playing Chris Dudley. I mean, it's bad. Brando and some of us have seen this coming for years. And what I don't want to happen with college football and what Brando didn't want to happen with college football is it becoming a regionalized sport, which it has slowly started to become. This isn't the fault of the programs or the schools in the SEC at all. They should try to win. They should try to win as many football games as they can, and they should keep doing that. They should keep beating the brains out of everybody else across the country. That is what they're supposed to do. This isn't an indictment on them. This is a zoomed-out, eagle-eye view of the sport of college football. 
And outside of those areas that I mentioned, it's not great, folks. It's just not great. I don't want college football to become hockey, NHL hockey, or Major League Baseball, or even you know college baseball. Or that, but maybe you know, it's going the other way. College baseball's popularity is on the arrow pointed up, not the arrow pointed down. It's being marginalized in a vast portion of the country, that sport. And I get that those in power scoff at the suggestion that anything is wrong with college football because they look at their bottom lines. But you got to look at it more than that. Brando saying, again, quote, we may be flourishing. You just heard it there and making more money than we've ever had. But the sport now is, I think, in more peril than it has ever been. Those words of warning, I think, should echo from L.A. to New York, from Hoover to Columbus, Ohio. Sport can survive being regionally relevant. It can. College football can make money hand over fist. Being only relevant here in the South, only relevant in a few other places. But it can't flourish coast to coast in a country as diverse as ours. It can't peak in our interest nationally if it starts to be diminished in relevancy like it is right now. And... I've argued this for a while, and Tim Brando's argued it too, that college football should look at their big brothers in the NFL and the illusion of parity that the NFL has created. Only a handful of teams really have a chance in the NFL to win a Super Bowl every season. I mean, it's the Patriots, it's teams like the Saints, and the Seahawks, and the Eagles, and the Steelers. But this musical chairs for the league's 12 playoff spots, that's what's all-consuming. The Patriots may win a championship every other year, but a chance to make the postseason is what keeps fan bases in Buffalo and Detroit and Cleveland and elsewhere perennially interested. So I get it that Alabama and Clemson are going to be the sports standard bearers, it seems like, from now until I guess Nick Saban's no longer there. Dabo's no longer in, in Clemson. But expanding the college football playoff is a – really surefire way to start to fix some of these problems. And I get that people have said that, you know, inviting a team like UCF to play Alabama or Washington State to play Alabama is only inviting an on-field massacre. Those naysayers might be right. But look in the NFL. Inviting six-seeded Buffalo, the Bills, to play New England in the divisional round, does anybody really give Buffalo a chance in that game? But does interest wane because of that unlikeliness of that upset? No. Anticipation is it a fever pitch for those matchups. And that's, again, a lesson that college football should learn from the NFL. So later this show at about 9.30, we will replay our two-part interview with Tim Brando. It's going to be a, it's a fascinating conversation to have. Loved having it with him, and I'd love to have it with you here today. Our phone number is 504-260-1870. Our text line is 870-870. We'll take a quick break. We're coming back with Corey Roussel, the father of Reed Roussel, star of the Little League World Series as the last lap continues on WWL. It's New Orleans in the Little League World Series United States Championship tomorrow. Boy, how fun is that going to be at 2.30? The boys from River Ridge play Hawaii a couple of wins away from a world championship, a world championship. How special is that? One of the stars of that team, and well, look, the star of that team is Reese Roussel, who last night, and this is kind of an encapsulation of his entire tournament, really his entire summer, has been uh, four of four, 
three doubles and a grand slam home run. I mean, he is, he is sensational. Paul Benary, take notice over there at LSU. He's the star of that team. He's the star, really, of this tournament. And his father, Corey Roussel, joins the show now. Corey, how you doing? Hey, Seth. I'm doing awesome, man. Uh, what, what has this been like for you, Corey, to, to watch – your son's journey here, not not just this tournament, but you know, and this goes back uh, for months as they were kind of leading up to this point. You know, it, it, it's it's really been unreal. Uh, I mean, of course, I'm proud of my son, without a doubt. Um, it's just you don't expect this, you know, from any kid. Actually, just like you want to get a hit, help your team out, but then when he does something like this, I'm like, wow, I, I really don't know what to say. What does he say when when he gets you know away from the cameras and his team and he's he's talking to you you know in the hotel rooms or uh, when you're traveling what, what does he say when he when he tries to reflect on this? Well, he looks back and he goes, you know, Dad, I'm I'm just thinking on hill line drive on hill line drive and you know help my team. Hope, hopefully, we can win and keep going on and keep going on, and and he just keeps doing it. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Wow, that's kind of the, that's kind of the reaction that all of us has had watching this. Corey is, is is wow. Has have you seen? And look, maybe this is a silly question. I don't know how anybody could see this coming, but have you seen this coming from your son? As he's played little league, he's lead up to this point. Have you, have you ever thought that man, my son could be you know starring on ESPN on these worldwide broadcasts? <laughs> it's broadcast around the world. You know, this August. So, no, I, I have. I, I've thought about it. We started East Bank back in 2015, and the reason we started was, hey, look, I've watched Little League all my life, and it would be great if one day we would be here not really knowing. It's kind of like a, like a chance, like not really knowing you're going to get here, but all right, let's keep going, keep going, and just kind of manifest it, and all right, we're here. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> it almost sounds, uh, Corey, like you're you're still in a little shock, right? Like, wow, this this is awesome, but I can't I can't kind of believe we're here, right? No, I, I am. It, 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 it's hard to explain because when you get here and you see the fields and you see the atmosphere, you, you, you go down the hill. It's like, wow, <laughs> I can't believe I'm here. Talking to Corey Roussel, who's. The father of Reese Roussel on the East Bank All-Stars Southwest Regional Champs at the Little League World Series. They'll play tomorrow against Hawaii for the United States Championship. One of the reasons why I was just so excited to get you on is I think a lot of people that, that watch this Little League World Series don't understand all of the hours that the parents and the support um, support crews really surrounding these kids go through over the last few months. What, what's it been like uh, for you and your wife, Brandy, as – You've had to travel. You've had to miss a lot of work, I'm guessing. is you kind of support Reese going through this? Oh, no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a lot of time you have to commit to trying to get here. You don't, want to, you don't want to miss a game. But in order to make every game, you have to balance work. You have to balance your finances, of course. And it's, 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 it's tough because it's a long, long haul to do this. But it's like you can't not do it. You have to be here. 
What what do uh, your employers and maybe yours and some of the, you know, the other parents that you talk to, what do the employers say when you say, man, I, look, I got, I got to miss work for weeks at a time because my son's playing you know, Little League Baseball. Are, are they kind of on board with this? Are they push back? What's that like? You know, for the most part, all the stories I've heard of was a lot of employer, employers going, look, I support you. You got to be there. Go do it. We're going to deal with it when you get back. It's a great attitude to have. Hopefully, you know, coming back, I get, well, you made it to this weekend, so you're going to play Saturday, Sunday, uh, no matter what happens here, whether that's in the championship on Sunday or in the third-place game on Sunday. What, what's the atmosphere, what's the attitude like right now, I guess really just hours away from that game tomorrow? Look, we're really excited because we, we got on a really great roll. Boys started hitting. We got tasked at a Hawaii game that was a little rough, and they were nervous. But um, we're really playing the ball we've always played. So, I think Hawaii's got something to worry about. <laughs> I think I think they do too, Corey. I think that everybody <laughs> believes that right now. Even though for some reason, uh, River Ridge East Bank All Stars like three and a half to one underdogs in that game, which is a little crazy to me. Uh, how's Reese feeling? Oh, he, he's he's good. Look, he's a twelve year old kid, and he he just shows up every day, and he's like. All right, I guess we're going to play baseball again today. You know, let's let's do it. Isn't that amazing? How it's so easy for for those kids to tune everything else out and just focus on you know one game, one pitch at a time. It it is. It's it's amazing. A lot of the parents and the coaches look at these boys and like they're all great boys, and they just they they take this in stride and they're having fun. And I think that's the biggest part of it. It just they're loose and having fun and. I think that's why Hawaii has to worry. Uh, Corey, can I hold you just 60 seconds? we got a hard break. All right? Absolutely. Okay, 60 seconds back with Corey Roussel, father of Reese Roussel. It's going to be a great double dip here tomorrow with sports, as most of us will be watching the East Bank All-Stars, the Southwest representatives of the United States, the Little League World Series, take on Hawaii for a national championship. That'll be at 2.30 local time. And then after that, of course, we have Saints preseason football. We're chatting with Corey Roussel, the father of Reese Roussel, the East Bank All-Stars. Reese yesterday, oh, ho-hum, four of four, three doubles, and a grand slam home run propelling those East Bank All-Stars to this point. Uh, Corey, can you can you take us through what game day preparation is going to be um, for Reese, for all these kids tomorrow? Well, I mean, I can't tell you exactly what game day prep is because that's really left up to Co- uh, Coach Frazier. Um, but normally what they usually do is um, they'll wake up, eat breakfast, go through the, uh, the Little League scenarios, and then They'll practice, take a break, and then pretty much get ready for the game. What's going to be your and Brandy's preparation tomorrow? Well, so uh, lots of I don't know, lots of roll aids and uh, <laughs> ingestion medicine. <laughs> well, so that's a little different. So I go through a process to where I wear the same clothes I've worn the last I don't know what four or five games because we've won and. We do a little tailgating. We're from South Louisiana, so it's it's kind of a necessity. Oh, yeah. So we, we do that, and then we get ready and go through a process and then show up for the game really early. <laughs> there, you, there you go. And cross your fingers and rally hats and rally monkeys and whatever else you need. Uh, Absolutely. Corey. Absolutely. Corey, I really appreciate you taking some time to share your story, share your son's story with everybody here uh, in New Orleans. And look, good luck to everybody out there tomorrow. Hopefully we can chat with you next week after you guys win a championship. 
Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for uh, contacting us, man. It's awesome. Yeah, no, this is awesome for us. The pleasure is all mine, Corey. And uh, give uh, Reese and give Brandy my best, all right? I will. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Corey Roussel again. Father Reese Roussel tomorrow at 2.30. We will all be watching. If you're not, you should be one of the great... I think uh, unadulterated forms of sports entertainment. Really, you know, sometimes you get jaded in college and pros, and certainly I do, covering those sports all the time. All the you know the dirty underside of it with the money and politics and contracts. It's not there in little league, and it's one of the reasons why this event, this little league World Series, captivates us all each year at this time. And amazingly, and fortunately for everybody here locally, we have a local team to root on. Again, the East Bank All-Stars tomorrow against Hawaii at 2.30 for a national championship. It is a win, and you're in the championship and a lose. Well, you're not done, but you get to play in that third-place game on Sunday. We will take a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Brett Martell. We'll shift our focus to the New Orleans Saints. They have their third preseason game against the New York Jets tomorrow. We'll chat about what we should expect to see in that game. The last lap, just getting started tonight. Thanks for being along. Hope everybody's Friday's going well. I'm Seth Dunlap. Logan? Feeling a little better, looks like, Logan, tonight? Yeah, a little bit. He's kind of nodding his head, yeah. Behind the glass, our studio producer, two and a half more hours here on the show. Tomorrow, it's Saints-Jets' third preseason game. We do know Drew Brees is going to play, and we'll be watching roster battles on both sides of the football. We've talked about them a lot this week, less than 24 hours away from that game, and we'll get a preview now with the help from Brett Martell, Associated Press sports writer based in New Orleans. He's on Twitter, at Brett Martell. Brett, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well, Seth. How are you? Uh, look, I'm, I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm very intrigued about what we're going to going to see tomorrow. And you know, I guess, Sean Payne, I guess no surprise, right? He says uh, Drew Brees is going to play. So, how, how long? You, how many series? How long you think we'll see Drew out there? I would expect it would be about two series. But if they have a really successful first series and score right away, it's possible he would come out after one. I've seen that before. Um, but I would think, yeah, I would think two series probably. As the the struggles on offense, especially in the red zone. That uh, two of eight, I think, in the red zone, and that's just scores, not touchdowns. Two of eight in the red zone uh, over the first two preseason games. Is that just uh, attributed to hey, the first team offense, Drew Brees not being out there, Brett, or is it deeper than that? Well, I don't think it's a problem. I mean, I, I think that it's possibly you know all of your first team guys not being out there, and also uh, you know in the preseason, the coaches are. You know they're 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 practicing their own stuff. They're not scheming for the opponent, and a lot of the play calling is really designed to get I think people on film so they can you know your own guys on film so you can go back and look and see if they did their assignments right. Because really what they're trying to do is they're not trying to. They, I mean they want they pay lip service to winning because they want to foster a competitive and winning culture. But what they're really trying to do is evaluate um, who's going to make the team and and among those people who do make the team how much you know, what kind of roles they can have and how much they can really help. And they can't evaluate that without, you know, specifically putting these guys in a position to succeed or fail um, in, in these games. So it's just, it's hard to really look at a, I think, a look at a, a red zone problem in the preseason and necessarily think it would translate to the regular season. And that evaluation of the wide receiver position may be the hardest of, of any group on this team. How have you handicapped that race, Brett, to, to, I don't know, five, maybe six spots there that they might keep at wide receiver? Well, yeah, I think it would be uh, six if they're confident in the special teams abilities of all, of all six guys. But, 
Um, otherwise, it might be five. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm still waiting to see what happens with Marcus Sherrill's really, and if he's healthy, and if he's going to get her, or if it's going to go to, you know, if they really like Deontay Harris that much. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got your your top three, which are probably the the uh, you know the the main guys from last year, being Thomas and Ginn, um, and also uh, Traquan Smith. Um, and then after that, you know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you know, the, I, Austin Card shows signs of of being a guy that they can count on. Um, but he has, you know, what he has going against him is he just doesn't have kind of the size uh, of an Emmanuel Butler or or a little Jordan Humphrey, um, you know, or the speed of a Cyril Grayson Jr. So, you know, it's uh, Austin Card could maybe develop into a Lance Moore type of effective possession receiver and in you know he's got the experience so we'll have to see if they decide to go that way i mean i you know emmanuel butler has had a lot of work with the first team and it really seems like they see him as marcus colson the second i mean they're hoping that he'll become that but he just hasn't shown in a preseason game yet because obviously he was you know he was, he was just coming back from injury didn't play in the first one and then in the second one um he didn't get thrown to very much and he dropped the pass right in his hands and that was not like what we were seeing in practice. Um, I think they're going to want to see that in the game, so I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a lot of work in these last two preseason games. You know, Butler's such an interesting ca- test case, and we have one of these, Brett, you know, this every year. That, And I'll, I'll point the finger at myself um, and other people who, you know, we try to find camp storylines to latch on to and, you know, get our audiences and our readers and our viewers hyped up about, and he was that guy the first couple of weeks. Have, have we overblown that storyline where – you know, the first week or so, maybe he was a standout, but hasn't been since then, and and maybe he's not really uh, such a lock to be on this roster as a lot of people think. Well, yeah, I don't know yet. I mean, I wouldn't fault the media for buying for promoting that storyline only because of how the coaches have talked about him. You know, so you know, you see it, you see it on the field a little bit in practice, and you see the how they're practicing him. You know, with you know, either the first or second team a lot. And, uh, and you hear the coaches speaking about how encouraged they are and how hopeful they are about his potential. It's, you know, you, you feel like there's something to that, uh, you know, and it was just, I mean, he only, I can only recall one throw that he got in the LA game. And that was the one near the sidelines or it bounced right off his hands. Yeah. Um, but I may have, I, you know, it's like, there's a lot of plays in the game. I may be forgetting one, but, um, yeah, and that's why I just think that, you know, we'll see what happens in these last two games, but I would expect them to be heavily involved because I think they like him enough that they're not going to want to uh, cut ties with him without giving him a real chance to redeem himself for that drop and to see if he can show in a game what he had shown in practice. And we're talking to Brett Martell, Associated Press sports writer based in New Orleans. He's on Twitter, at Brett Martell. Other side of the football, a lot of, a lot of focus has been on Trey Hendrickson the last couple of weeks, and Seems like, Brett, he is primed for a breakout year in his third season. And, and I think people, some maybe forget, he is part of that you know amazing draft class, the one that included uh, uh, Alvin Kamara and, and company, Marshawn Lattimore, a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, you know, effort's never been a question with him. Um, he really practices hard and goes really fast. Uh you know he's just very he's just very quick and vigorous and every everything about him his body language looks good um he's a hard guy to read frankly when we talk to him he's he's pretty closed off and you've probably noticed that 
in the post-practice media scrum. I mean, all of his answers are very short and sort of <laughs> all business, <cliche> right? <laughs> oriented. Yeah. Um, but now's the time for him. I mean, you know, in his third season, I mean, now's the time when he has to step up and, and try to do it. And they may need him to do it um, depending on whether Marcus Davenport is really ready to fulfill the promise that the Saints thought he had when they traded up to uh, draft him in the first round last year. And, and that, I guess it's kind of the opposite with Marcus Davenport. And I look, I just, and it shouldn't really judge a player at all on what they say in the press conferences, but he's kind of the opposite of Hendrickson where he, he says a lot, but he thinks about a lot, very introspective. I think uh, you were the one who used that word before when I was talking to you. And right. he hasn't had a good preseason, right? I think, I think he would even admit that. It hasn't been great, although he did show up a little bit in preseason game two in the backfield there. Uh, so... Um, you know, Cam Jordan, who, you know, it's funny because Cam is kind of a goofy guy and uh, speaks in a lot of tangents and it'd be hard to follow sometimes, but he does seem to be uh, pretty um, high on, on Davenport's potential. Um, but he also was, I think, pretty frank. And it's, it was funny. I, I kind of felt validated when Cam said, I, I tell Marcus that he just, he doesn't always have to think so much. Sometimes he just has to do it. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so, you know, because, I mean, you do, you do see Davenport as a pensive guy. And, um, but he also strikes me as a lot more confident this year. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's totally reasonable for a person with a tremendous skill set to kind of over the first three years of his career, not just in football, I've seen it in the NBA too, Kind of, you know, he, he doesn't. It's not like a Marshall, Lattimore, Alvin Kamara burst onto the scene right away, but he can develop into someone who's really good over time. So, um, you know, I think Mar- I'm having a mental block, but it was the, the guy picked by the Texans ahead of Reggie Bush, Mario. Oh, uh, Williams. Williams, right? Yeah, Williams. Mario yeah. Williams. Yeah, he was kind of a disappointment in his first couple of years, mm-hmm. and then he, and then, but then he developed and he had some really good years. So. You know, I mean, maybe Davenport's on that kind of track. It, it, that's Brett. That is very odd. You mentioned that because I mentioned that yesterday on the show. I actually, I went through kind of his career and said, you know, look at Mario Williams. Actually, turned into probably not a Hall of Fame guy, but certainly, you know, maybe a step back from that. Very, very good career, and certainly one that probably justified uh, justified his draft pick. I am wondering this defense with the concerns that's the wrong word with the uncertainty about just how drew Brees, good drew Brees is going to be how good the offense is going to be is it important that this defense takes another step this year that they do become among the best in the nfl if they want to make a run at a super bowl i don't know if they have to be the best in terms of rankings and yards per game they just they have to have the right they, they really just have to you know it's funny because i hate using coaches jargon like complimentary football but I understand why they use that term all the time. They have to be better against the opposing offense in any given game than the Saints offense is, <laughs> yeah. if that makes sense. Yep. Um, yeah, so, so uh, or, I, I, might, I might not have even said that right, and I apologize. But essentially what I'm saying is that, you know, the Saints have a prolific offense. And so if uh, the defense can kind of bend but not break, force more field goals, you know, when they give up a lot of yards, get some timely turnovers, um, put the offense in favorable positions, I think they can go a long way. The year that the Saints won the Super Bowl, if I remember right, the defense was ranked in the 20s in terms of yards allowed per game. But they had a ton of huge game-changing plays. 
particularly uh, interceptions, and a lot of them by Darren Sharper. So, you know, if they are able to get those kind of big plays at the right time, that can make all the difference. He's Brett Martell. He covers this team in New Orleans sports for the Associated Press. Give him a follow on Twitter at Brett Martell. Brett, enjoy the game tomorrow, and uh, I know you're probably glad camp is in the books like the rest of us, right? A little overeather. Yeah, I mean, it's always a fun thing to do, but after a few weeks, you know, in the heat, it's, it's good to be able to, yeah, just kind of go back to the regular schedule there. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are relieved. Yes, yeah, step back, and uh, we can all take a long, deep breath. Uh, appreciate the time tonight, Brett. Thanks so much. All right, good to be on the show. Great job. Thanks. All right, thanks. Thanks, Brett. All right, tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow it is Jets-Saints preseason game three. I'm really excited to see Sam Darnold from the other side. He's a guy last year, struggled a little bit early, got a lot better later in the season, showed all the talent we saw at USC. Glad we see him up close and personal here from the Saints' perspective. And it'll be the first time since 2006 that the Saints and the Jets have played in the preseason. So a little rarity there. Open up phone lines for you now, 504-260-1870. Our text line, of course, is 870-870. Our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll tonight. Are you watching the Little League World Series? Yes or no? I bet most of you are, at least who are listening to this show. 504-260-1870 again. Text 870-870. The last lap back in a second on WWL. You can kick off football season with the Houdat Nation Rally and Music Fest Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, September 6th, 7th, and 8th. It's good food. It's great music. Big-time family fun at LaSalle Park in Metairie. Great lineup, too. Here's some of the music acts. The Producers, Cowboy Mouth, Supercharger, New Power Generation, The Family Stone, The Top Cats, and many, many more. Plus that Friday night, which is Friday, September 6th, they're going to have a tribute honoring Dr. John, Art Neville, Alan Toussaint, Fats, and a lot of the legends that we've lost here. Irma Thomas, Deacon John, Renard Poche, many others going to perform. You can get your tickets now for the official Houdat Nation Rally and Music Fest presented by Bud Light. And on a separate note, if you want to attend one or both of the VIP shows at the Jefferson Performing Arts Center, get your tickets now before they are all sold out. That's the Guess Who on Saturday the 7th from 5.30 to 6.45. Blood, Sweat, and Tears Sunday, September 8th from 4.30 to 5.45 at the Jefferson Performing Arts Center. Tickets available at Ticketmaster and remember... Each VIP experience ticket comes with weekend passes to the Houdat Rally and Music Fest. Get all the info you need at houdatnationevents.com. New segment we're doing this segment every single day is our Bonehead of the Day. And look, last night it happened during our show, and admittedly, if we would have or if what happened up in Winnipeg, happened before we unveiled that segment last night this would have been an easy one for last night but i guess like 23 hours 22 hours later this one's easy today it's our bonehead of the day and our boneheads of the day or bonehead of the day it's everybody in charge of the field up in winnipeg yesterday they had a preseason game between the oakland raiders and the green bay packers and in the end zone was a hole, actually in both of the end zones, because in the CFL, the goalposts are in a different place. Well, they didn't adequately fix the hole where the CFL goalposts go, and it was right smack dab in the middle of the end zones on both sides. So instead of playing on a normal 100-yard field, what happened right before the game was the two teams played on an 80-yard field. They had to move the pylons up 10 yards 
So the goal lines on each end were at the 10, started at the 10 yard line and ended right at the goal line. It's weird. It's, it's incredible. It's weird. The Packers pulled their starters, did not play any of them. It's a black eye for Winnipeg. The NFL is not going to return there anytime soon. It's kind of a black eye for the NFL who didn't adequately prepare that field either. Good news for the Raiders was, I guess, that they won the football game on a walk-off field goal and a big John Gruden fist pump to end it. But our boneheads of the day, everybody involved up there in Winnipeg, hole in the field, forcing the Raiders and the Packers to play on an 80-yard field. It's pretty incredible. One hour down, two to go. Next hour, my two-part sit-down with Tim Brando, our last lap interview of the week. You are not going to want to miss that. He came firing, called Alabama's football schedule pathetic and embarrassing, said reform is needed in college football. Plus, we talked Jets with Brian Costello. We'll preview Jet Saints. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 